This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Shall I call him? I'll call him on loudspeaker. Shit, so we're supposed to be on the podcast now. <laughs> yes. Oh. No. Where are you? What are you doing? I've completely forgotten, and I my curry has just arrived. <laughs> Literally in twenty minutes, I would be ready. Okay. Literally. Why don't you? Do you want to? Do you want me and Finney to start, or do you want to join us on the podcast eating a curry, or are you eating your curry with your much better half? No, the doorbell has literally just rung. Right. So, um, and, uh, and, oh, I'm so sorry. It was end of the past summer. I was, you know, getting horribly drunk with with teammates, and <laughs> oh no, well, what I... awfulness is this? Should I join you now and leave my curry to get cold? No, no, that's the last that's the last option I want. Of all the options, that's my least favourite because I love a curry and I don't want that to happen. The as if he's trying to sound like a good bloke. <laughs> no, this is the new me, Finny. This is the new me, remember? Um no, here's, here, I'm gonna present you with some options, Dan. Me and Finney start. You eat your curry and join us whenever you're ready. Um you join us on the podcast and watch watch us chat and join in occasionally whilst eating a curry or well those are your two options oh sounds sounds proposing a nine o'clock start how do you feel about that Finny? what time is it now? i can do that i'm i'm not in a rush i'm so sorry <laughs> Fucking hell. at least tell us what curry you got it's a butter chicken and two onion barges god well, well we'll open with how shit that order is that'll be the first 20 minutes of the podcast I'm so sorry. That's all right. I've been with you at five past nine. Sorry. Apology accepted. See you in a bit. (laughs) Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given, a typically seamless start to the podcast as ever this week, but we are here and we are underway. So 
I'm going to start with Stephen Finn because I need to speak to Stephen Finn about a couple of things. So, first of all, Finny, how is the knee after you after you went under the knife last week? Yes, it's good actually. I watched a video today of it. When you leave the surgery, you get given a USB stick which has a video of your operation. It's like going to Thorpe Park and getting a photo of the log flume. I left the hospital with a USB stick that I didn't have to pay for, thankfully. Die, fucker. And I got to watch my knee operation in full today. And oh, you watched the whole thing? I don't know if I'd ever watch mine. Yeah, I watched, um, I watched him scoop out some bone with what looked like an ice cream scoop. Scoop And then bone. take it away with some, um, some scissored, some pincers. I watched him suck away some, um, some inflammation at the bottom of my ACL with a little hoover looking thing and I watched him buff the the bit of my bone that was a bit aggravated with um with this silver instrument that look here I'll show you now oh I don't know I mean this isn't going to be oh no oh no is that is that that, sorry Finney is that you getting your bone buffed oh this is um (laughs) no not quite this is the ice cream scoop oh Oh, scoop oh it's lovely oh that's beautiful yeah no it's not it's gorgeous. Yeah, what are you that's, talking about? Uh, it's, that's removing. That's removing all the ba- out with the bad air, in with the good. This is beautiful. What is and all that he, stuff? scooping it... out. Is that just well, like bone? That's bone. Gunge. That bone. Cup. That's all bone. God. Yeah, he's, that's bone. And then he gets his little pincers out. Oh, yeah. do I want to see the pincers? Yeah. Gets his little pincer out and is then it, sucks it up with the there? Hoover. Look. That's Are we sure that this guy has like a license? It looks like if <laughs> I was doing surgery and I was just winging it. Wow. Yeah, this is the fella that did Virgil van Dyke's knee. So, oh, really? Um, Legend. Yeah, good man. I like him. Well, he's been crap this year, so, Actually, so maybe that's true. He's the wrong... I hope he doesn't ruin your cricket. You know the way he's ruined van Dyke this season. Um, no, he's anyway. he's an outstanding surgeon. I I still don't really know what I was looking at. It looked to me like a giant cloud in the shape of nothing, really, except a sort of galaxy. And then, how do you scoop bone? I mean, if you scoop bone, aren't you? Breaking bone. I mean, yeah, I don't understand. That's why my knee's so purple and bruised right now. Because you've got yeah. too much bone. But when you're no, so like when your joint doesn't have enough room in it, the bone around the edges sometimes calcifies and creates less room when oh. there's friction or when there's inflammation. So around the bottom of my ACL, or where there was a cyst and inflammation, there was also some excess bone that he decided that he had to scoop away with his scooper, which must be incredibly sharp if it's just cutting through yeah. bone like we just saw there. Um, and then he timed it up the surface of my joint around the cartilage with um, with his little hoover. So, were, yeah. Were you, were you awake while this was happening or not? No, no, no. I was, I was long gone. Hmm. I woke up and it would have been a good podcast after I woke up. I was on fire for about half an hour after I came around from the general. Yeah. Oh, a, mate, well, a, a mate of mine left his girlfriend when he was when he came out of his general out of setting. Yeah. <laughs> weird, weird things can happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that, Finney. I mean, I didn't need to see that, but uh, but thank you very much for sharing that nonetheless. I did. But, I thought it was lovely. Did they did they give you the gunge in like a cup or a mug or anything? Because I would I would want to. I remember when no, I had but... my ears waxed in 1978 and I, and I got to keep the gunge and it was very hairy and black. How and old foul. were you then? 60? Well, I was about nine, actually, Finney. Oh. I was nine. Why did you have did so you... much earwax when you were nine? I years don't old? know. I think, well, there was smog, wasn't there, when I was a child? So 
<laughs> things are difficult. You just, I mean, you, 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 just you, come kids, out of you kids never. You, a weird time. Exactly. You guys didn't like live through that period, but it was very difficult three day week and smog and uh, lack of oil and, uh, oh, and and too much oil and lead in petrol. It was it's amazing I'm still alive, quite frankly. But I got to keep it. Well, I'd imagine, yeah, if you if you wanted to. I mean, some people decide to cook and eat the plasma when they've had the given birth, don't they? Yeah, um, exactly. So exactly. I'm sure if I asked for the for the gunge and inflammation from the bottom of my ACL to be given to me in a little takeaway bag at the end of the operation, then I could have done. Mm. Actually, the first operation I ever had, I had an osteochondroma removed, which is a lump of bone from the inside of my knee. And and he went in, and I've got a video of him doing this, and he's literally chiseling. It's like he's on a building site, chiseling something away from a wall. And he chiseled this golf ball-sized lump um, out of it, which actually looked as though it could have been cooked if you wanted to. So I'll have to ask if I ever go in again. Have you ever have you ever eaten any of the parts of your body that have been removed from you? I need no. to interject immediately because I we, we it's a placenta, not a plasma. A plasma is a television. <laughs> Same yeah. thing, isn't it? To sum up, I yeah. don't think women. I don't think women give birth and immediately cook and fry with like a Sony Bravia TV or something like that. I'm pretty sure it's a placenta. Uh, but nonetheless, let's be honest. We need this podcast to get more listening figures. Yeah. If we could get Finney live on Twitter streaming, eating the leftovers of his next knee operation, that could be the that could be the moment this podcast. Good God! That, oh my that God, looks like an oyster. That looks like a delicious oyster. Why didn't oh. you eat it? I've just seen it. I've just seen this golf ball sized oyster come oh. out of Finney's knee. Is that bone? Yeah, that's bone. Yeah. That's the scar that I had after that. Oh. Why, do, why do you keep creating extra bone, Finney? You, I you don't need know. To... Right. Like then, worst this is the surgeon. Ever. That's the surgeon pulling it out my knee. There he is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's having a great time. Who yeah. was taking these photos? Uh, the physio. And then, where is the. Yeah. So if you get physio, I've got a mate as a physio. If I take his phone and I look at his gallery, is it going to be hideous pictures of operations and people <laughs> having all sorts of things pulled out of places? Here we go. Right. See if you can hear this. Oh. Oh. Here we go. Ow. Let me describe it for the listener. There is a man literally with a hammer and chisel just whacking Finney's knee in an operating (laughs) thing. That is... it, It always... When you watch things like ER, they make it look like really graceful. Scalpel. Pass me the scalpel. In reality, yeah. it's a bloke with a mallet and a chisel going to town on Finney's knee. It, I mean, it's amazing that you're that you're still here with us, frankly, Finney. I, 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 re- I reckon there's large parts of your body that are, are fragments of dry stone walls up and down the country. Because that, 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 the bloke who did that looked to me like he was excavating for bits of stuff to, you know, deal with a croft in northern Scotland. <laughs> it's absolutely foul. <laughs> pretty horrendous. Um, yeah. Well, Finney, I see you're taking recovery seriously because whilst we were waiting for Norcross to turn up, I watched you eat a tub of ice cream, a chocolate orange, and a, you've got a whole bag of Kit Kat next to you. Well, no, don't slander my name, actually. It's a low-fat Greek gourmet yoghurt that I was eating. <laughs> Thank you. I'm on these meal plans at the moment because I can't exercise that much. 
um, I, I'm on these meal plans that are 2,000 calories a day. Um, and 2,000? They're like, the meals are, I think, 450 calories each. Um, so you get three of those, and then you can snack in between. But Jesus, I'm hungry. Like, in between meals at the moment, I'm just, like, walking around. I feel like my stomach's eating itself. It's not pleasant. Right. And wow. where on this meal plan is the Club Orange Bar and the Kit Kat? I'm allowed one treat every other day. Okay, well, what, which treat are you going for, the Club Orange or the Kit Kat? Because you seem to have both next to you there. <laughs> yeah, they're next to me. This is this is the true test of whether I've got the mental resolve to be able to come back from this injury. Because, look, if you see, the Kit Kat is not open and shall not be opened. I what, can't confirm. What, what, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What I particularly like love about this. Cats and what I love like about a, this is, is, it, is that Finney has planned for, for 12 days of recovery. By getting a six pack of Kit Kats <laughs> and a six pack of whatever the other one was. It's a five pack, actually. <laughs> five. Okay. So he's got 10 days of treats, but he's only allowed one of them per day. But he's bought them all at once because, you know. Well, it's 20 idea... days of treats. And they were such a bargain. It was five Kit Kats for one pound. That's 20 mm-hmm. per Kit Kat. Tight fucker. Ever since you lost the 100 contract, you've been well, really weird since, about this. It's awesome. Ever since I've worked for the BBC and realised it's not what it's well, meant up to be. <laughs> well, welcome to my life. You do a, you do a low You need to get in with BT, job. mate. That's what you need to do. And an unpaid podcast. No wonder you've got to be so frugal. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, uh, let's move on to the cricket and talk about the... the let's reflect on a English summer of cricket that I don't think any of us would have foreseen when we were sat here all grumpy and miserable, slagging off the England boys after the West Indies tour and after the Ashes tour. They won six out of seven test matches this summer while scoring at an impressive 4.44 and over, which is the fastest scoring rate of any test team in a cricket season ever. And Jimmy Anderson is still magnificent. It's his fifth summer ever where he's taken 20 wickets at less than 20. He's the first English bowler to ever do that. Stuart Broad's overtaken Glenn McGrath for the most wickets of a fast bowler. Only Jimmy Anderson in front of him now. Ollie Robinson's still really bloody good at test level and looking quicker and sharper and better than ever. It was pretty much the perfect summer. And as I say, I don't think any of us could have foreseen it when we were so negative after that West Indies tour. Um, Finney, a lot of people saying that it's the most fun they've ever had in an England shirt. Joe Root said that. Ben Stokes has said that. A lot of the guys that have been around the changing room, Jimmy Anderson has said that. Is that just because they're winning? It's probably always easier to have a happy changing room when you're, when you're winning matches. Or is it because genuinely of this sort of aura that McCullum and Stokes have already grown in the team in the last few months? Yeah, well, I think... I think they go hand in hand, don't they? Because I think the importance or the significance of building an environment where people are having fun is that they feel comfortable to go out and express themselves and end up playing better. And it's no doubt that McCullum and Stokes together have been able to get that out of the players in that team because 
I know both of them relatively well. I had a beer after the test match at Manchester with McCullum and Stokes. And McCullum said to me, he said, mate, you love playing in this team. The way that the cricket, the way that Stokes takes the lead and talks to the boys and empowers people to go out there and just have fun and play the game in the manner that they have this year. He was like, you would absolutely love it. And and I am pretty jealous that um, that I'm not involved with that anymore because it looks like the sort of environment where someone with my attitude would have, um, would have, you know, I think it would have got the best out of me. And I think that when you've got people like Jimmy Anderson, who's played 175 test matches now, and Stuart Broad um, as the two greatest bowlers now that have ever lived um, in terms of wicket-taking, when you've still got them hungry and wanting to play every single game and not want to retire, uh, I think that you're doing something right. Uh, and I think the results come as a result of the environment. What, what about when you were in the England team, Finney? Is there a period or a change of room that you consider to be the happiest, the most fun, the most relaxed? And was it when the team was being ridiculously successful as well? So like, the proof that they go hand in hand. Um, yeah, well, that first summer where Bayliss and Farbrace came in as coaches in 2015 was a similar sort of vibe to this McCullum one, wasn't it? We'd played pretty attritional, boring cricket all the way, or not, boring's the wrong word. We played attritional, successful cricket over the course of the last four or five years that got us results, but didn't win us many fans, I suppose. I remember we won the Ashes in 2013 here, I think 3-1 was it? And we got nailed in the manner that we, or, for, or three nil, I think it was, and we got it was, nailed. It was, the, it was three nil. You got nailed for being yeah, boring. Yeah. Nailed for being boring and winning Ashes series three nil. Like it, and there was no celebration. It was so forensic. Whereas, imagine winning an Ashes series three nil now. Like it doesn't matter what team you're playing against. So you've, you've won an Ashes series three nil, and the celebration that there would be. So yeah, when Bayliss came in in 2015. Um, he just freed people up and that was the inception of Ben Stokes as the all-rounder, wasn't it? Batting at number six and being your second change bowler. Before that, he was batting at number eight and being a first change bowler. That that was the inception of that version of Ben Stokes. And that was obviously when the white ball team started going to new levels under the leadership of Owen Morgan and Trevor Bayliss as well. Um, here's a cat with a prolapsed arsehole again. Hold on. Hey. <laughs> there she is. Hello, Ethel. Hello, Ethel. Hi, Ethel. Do you know, I, I don't think you could have Bazball without Ethel. And I think no. since 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 that cat's womb was prolapsed, England's cricket has gone to a whole new level. Imagine oh, She's you... a beautiful cat, actually. She's absolutely beautiful cat. Imagine she if is. you had never listened to Zero Ducks Given before and you'd been recommended, for some reason, somebody was stupid enough to recommend it. And you sat there and you listened to Finney giving a very good, interesting, fascinating answer. And then at the end of it, after a really intricate and detailed and clever answer, he went, oh, here comes a cat's prolapsed arsehole again. <laughs> yeah. If you'd never met Ethel in a previous episode, you'd be God, very... God, she's very beautiful. Good. She's, she's absolutely... She's Hi, British Apple. blue. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, she is. yeah British blue, yeah. Oh. She's lovely. She's oh. absolutely. Oh, we should post a photo of Ethel this week. Oh. I don't think we've ever posted a photo of Ethel. Ethel, okay, I'll get us a good photo. Get her to look oh, yeah. down the camera so we can get a good photo. For... Oh, there we go. That was a nice oh, one. I Ethel, had so over much here. to say. But, Ethel, you know, I've gone now. The Ethel, there's oh, a good one. Oh, that's yeah, the money lovely. shot. That's the money shot. Nice work. <laughs> we'll post that at zero ducks. No, 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 no. That's not the money shot. Oh no. <laughs> 
I don't know. I, I never thought I'd oh, say this, Vinny. Can I see you. more videos of your knee getting operated on? I think I'd prefer that. <laughs> right. I'd like to bring this podcast back to Greg. Sorry. <laughs> wow. We really have hit rock bottom when Norcross is steering the shit back on the course. Uh, Norcross, you've sat there in pretty much the best seat in the house and watched this Bazball summer up close and personal. Uh, what have you made of it? It's it's absolutely magnificent. I mean, it's it's magnificent in so many ways because one of the great things you get to do if you do my job and, and the job that Finney also does now on TMS is you spend a lot of time with cricketers who have retired and they watch the game and they're they're the experts, you know, and we throw to them and and they get increasingly confused this summer by what the hell they're seeing. Um and yet when it comes down to it, when we did our season ending review, like Vic Marks, who has, you know, looked on in baffled wonder at what's been going on, he said, uh when he was out in Australia, or when, when the England team were out in Australia, rather, he heard Silverwood saying about the batters, they've got to knuckle down, they've got to be a bit more cautious, they've got to do this, that, and the other. And he said, and I thought, that's the last thing you need to hear. So he's a cricketer who played his cricket in the late 70s, 80s, very early 90s. He always wanted to hear people being positive. He played with Ian Botham and Viv Richards and Joel Garner, you know. And what cricketers want to hear is a positive message, isn't it? What anybody who does anything in their working life wants to hear is a positive message. And yet English cricket has managed somehow to sort of fashion quite a negative, well, not just English cricket, no, South African cricket. You look at the way they played in the second test. They tried desperately to draw the game. There was no positive intent at all. There was just sort of backs to the wall. Cricket creates this. We've got this wonderful thing, test cricket, five-day matches. We can draw, we can get in, we can get sort of stuck in. Don't give your wicket away. There's none of that. That just doesn't exist in the England team. They have five slips in place, even when the oppos 80 runs ahead in the second innings with three wickets down, because they've got to get a wicket. Because the point is, when you're bowling, you've got to get a wicket. Don't give a shit about a cover point and a deep this, that and the other. No, no, no. I've got five slips in because we've got to get a wicket. When we're batting, if things look a bit problematic, what do you do? Go mad. Go, go, go. Well, not mad, but get on with it. Be positive. Get after it. Attack them. Scare them. I like that. Must be a magnificent message if you're doing anything, any kind of work you're doing, to be encouraged to go on the offensive. I mean, as an offensive man, that completely appeals to me. Certainly are. You're certainly offensive. <laughs> you're offensive in so, <laughs> so many ways. Uh, no, it's, it's, it's true what you say, though, genuinely. They, they look... I mean, it sounds silly, but I was watching Ben Stokes during another one of his marathon spells, and I love the fact that he puts his hand up and says, I'll lead the way with those mammoth spells. But his nine-over nine spell, that was a huge, you know, brilliant spell in the end. But he was walking back to his mark, and he was absolutely knackered. And I watched Joe Root run up to him. He was obviously tasked with shining the ball. And Joe Root was laughing his head off. And whilst mm. Ben Stokes was walking back, he was barely had enough energy to get to the top of his mark. Joe Root was laughing and rubbing the cricket ball on his head to get the sweat off it so that he could shine the ball. And just little things like that. Jimmy Anderson doing kick-ups with the ball and getting a big cheer out of the crowd when it was knocked back to him with forward defensive. They genuinely look like a team that are having fun out there. Now, as I said, it's probably easier to have fun when you 
just skittled South Africa twice. But nonetheless, he's clearly, Brendan McCullum turned around the whole attitude in that change room almost immediately. And also, he looks so cool as he does it. Just lean every time it cuts to him, he's leaning back in a chair, cap on, shades on. And then I saw Joe Root and Ben Stokes post a photo earlier on of them toasting their, their win with a drink in the changing room. And in the background, Brendan McCullum's still in the same chair, same hat, same glasses, except now he's holding a beer. He hasn't left that chair, it feels like. Well, he's, he's, got the be- he's got the best job in the world, hasn't he, really? Because if you're Brendan McCullum, you just sit there wearing shades, uh, three back-to-back test matches, smile, look cool, tell people, go out there, express yourself. They go out there, express themselves, do a one meter interview at the end of each game and fly back to New Zealand. Nice work. I mean, <laughs> you know, none of us on this podcast would be able to pull that off because we're not as cool as Brendan McCullum. But that might be the answer. Every single coach that you can see would just be someone unbelievably cool. Like Russell Crowe could have done it maybe 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. What's the attractive man with the lawyer wife that everybody adores? The who? The attractive man with the lawyer wife who's a, who's an actor. There, oh, George Clooney. George Clooney. Clooney, that's a fella, apparently. Yeah, I mean, you know. Him. That's not a bad shout. We, we, who would be, yeah, maybe people could tweet us at Zero Ducks Pod who the coolest mm. person would be. Like, I'd like Keith Richards to just stroll in there and just yeah. say, go out there and express yourself because he's Australian now. And uh, I just send them out there and just let them do their thing. It's not a, not a terror. It's not the worst thing you've ever said. But then again, that's a very packed field. That argument, Finney, we must be doing. Uh, I, I'm 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 actually a fan of Jermaine Greer. I, I would I think she could do that <laughs> absolutely brilliantly. You know. I, I mean, I like Joel Australian. He's cool. Um, now now, Finney, we must. There must be more to it though. Come on, you've been in changing rooms where you must have sat in so many team meetings about how we're going to get this guy out and how we're going to bat against this and how we're going to bat on this pitch and how we're going to do this and tactics, tactics, tactics. It, we must be over-exaggerating. Brendan McCollum can't just be saying, yeah, go out there and express yourself. They have shown a bit of development. Zach Crawley has almost gone the other way until this innings in this test match. As the summer's gone on, he's almost become less attacking and decided, I'm just going to leave everything outside off stump and let them bowl to me. Uh, they sort of put away the bowling bounces at every single tail end of tactic. Uh, ben Stokes isn't batting like the maniac that he was at the start well, of the summer. So, maybe, I mean, he's still batting like a maniac, well, but I think we're forgetting how much of a maniac he was at the start of the summer. Well, actually, actually, the, the, the first innings and the last innings that he played were both maniacal innings. Yes, and that's that in, true. And, but in the middle, there were more innings that were not maniacal that Although, we've all forgotten that were utterly brilliant. So, yes. you know, that's possibly why he might get a bit scratchy when we talk about how maniacal he is when he bats. <laughs> but, but when he bats maniacally, he sure goes off the deep end. He certainly does. It seems to be all or nothing with him at the moment. Now, Finney, genuinely... that we. They must. We must be simplifying it. Brendan McCullum is a very smart cricketer with an amazing cricketing brain. They more must go into it than oh, I'll just go out there and have fun, lads. Yeah, but I think I think first of all you're underestimating like, like Brendan McCullum. I think when you deliver a simple message to people who, when you're playing international cricket, you you should have your game sorted so you're ready for the international arena. Um, and it is a case of going out there and just trying to be the best version of yourself. And what a good coach does is he takes away the pressure from the players, 
where's the responsibility himself? And that's what the captain, Ben Stokes, has done as well and said, I'm asking guys to play like this. If they mess up, come at me, come at McCullum. Um, McCullum fronted up after they lost the test match at Lords, the first one, when people were questioning whether they could do it against this bowling attack. I think Rabada went at about six runs and over in this test match through the whole thing. So, um, And he's one of the best fast bowlers in the world currently. Um, but what I do think that there is, is with Brendan McCullum, he was always aggressive and on the front foot, but he would read situations. And it's about being calculated when you take those risks. And that's something that only by having someone like him and being captained by Ben Stokes allows people to then realise when it's okay to do it. So it doesn't seem so reckless um, and it doesn't seem so haphazard because I think if those messages are given to people by the wrong people who don't understand how to do them properly or don't understand the, the scenarios within which it's acceptable to do that, then I think that you become a very confused cricket team. But the way that it's managed by those two guys, by all accounts, has been fantastic. I mean, it is nice as well because McCullum in every single interview says it's not me, it's Stokes, and Stokes in every single interview says it's McCullum. So there's, you know, there's a clear mutual respect between those two. They seem like very, I, I know neither of them, but they seem like very like-minded individuals who are pretty upfront with life. Talk to me about captains you've had then, England captains, Finney. So how you had two England captains, did you, in the Test team? Um, yeah, Cook and Root. No, Cook and Strauss, not yeah. Root. No, never had Root. So talk to me. So obviously Strauss first. So Ben Stokes is larger than life, give me the ball, give me a bat, I'll go out there and win a game of cricket for you. So talk to me about Andrew Strauss as a captain who seems very different to Ben Stokes, much more of a traditional English captain, I guess. Um, yeah, I think the thing about Strauss was his communication as a captain was always spot on. And he had to manage a really tricky team, didn't he? Because Kevin Peterson had just lost the captaincy, but he needed Kevin Peterson, the player, to play for him as a captain. So he, he had to navigate that. Um, he had to bring together, uh, the, he decided to bring together the bowling attack of Swan, Broad, Anderson. Uh, and they were his main bowlers for the years of his captaincy. Uh, and the one thing about Strauss was that when he spoke, you listened. It wasn't like you can play under some captains and they talk a lot and it's hard to decipher what is actually important um, and what they mean and whether they truly believe in what they're saying. But when Andrew Strauss spoke, you listened and everyone in the dressing room fell silent and listened. Um, and his ability to communicate what he wanted from us as players was outstanding as well. And that's why he was a good leader. And then, so Cookie takes over from Strauss. And then I've heard Cookie talk in the past about that transition from one of the lads in the changing room to being captain and how he almost had to purposely separate himself a little bit from the group because there's so much that comes with being a cricket captain as well. So what was the, what did Cookie do that differently from Strauss? Obviously, both had their huge successes. Yeah, I mean, I, you'd say that Cook was more of a leader from the front in terms of he went out there, opened the batting. Um, he would lead from the front and would be so gritty and determined. On that tour of India, his first tour as captain in 2012, he... Um, I think he scored three hundreds in four test matches, didn't he, or something? Um, yeah. Scored a phenomenal amount of runs, um, and I think as a captain, you have to have the respect of the dressing room. Strauss was obviously a fantastic player, but as a captain, he commanded the room by the way that he spoke and the way that he communicated. Um, and I think Alistair Cook commanded the respect of the dressing room by the way that he acted and the way that he behaved. And I'm not saying that 
either was deficient in the other thing that the other one did well, but they were their main their main points as captains, I would say, those two things. Um, Cook was always the fittest. He was always the strongest. He was always the one who did the extra work. And that really set the tone for the way that he wanted his players to be able to work behind it. I remember Cook as well because he really worked on his fielding when he became captain and ended up catching, in, yeah, his catching, yeah, yeah. At first slip. I remember because when he first came into the side, it was all you know, he had good hands, he'd field at gully and stuff, but as soon as he became captain, he put himself at first slip and you watched him become he was a decent slipper at first, but he became a great first slip catcher as it went on. Apparently he worked really hard at that as well because he felt as captain he needed to be at first slip. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. He caught some good ones off me over the years. There's one that's in South Africa, actually, in Durban, off Faf du Plessis, like in one of the last overs of the day in the Durban Test match in 2015. I just remember it being a really good catch because the wicket wasn't doing anything and this catch flew high to his left and he caught it. it yeah, it was a great catch. Yeah. Uh, but he certainly worked hard at it and it's things like that where he would expect you to then work at something yourself just as hard as he is working. And that's what drove the um, the improvement in the team. Yeah, but it, there's something a bit different with Stokes, though, isn't there? That that it's not just by example, is it? Like with Stokes, it's by it's by vibe. It, there's some kind of strange vibe thing that's going on here, where everybody feels, oh my god, there is another way to play cricket other than the way that we've always been playing cricket. So, like the reason why Jimmy Anderson, Stuart Broad, are still playing cricket. In Jimmy Anderson's case, he is a phenomenon and he's weird. But Stuart Broad, I think, could have been tempted away to just go and work for Sky. I mean, there'll be a time when he will do that and it'll be brilliant for him and he'll be superb at it. And he might have thought about that after, you know, one win in 17 games. And he seems to be incredibly re-energised. And it's a phenomenal thing, frankly. It's a really bizarre thing that's happening within the England team at the moment that they are so excited to play cricket I genuinely thought at the start of the season playing against New Zealand and India who were in the World Test Championship final and a resurgent South Africa that with no chairman with no CEO with no coach with no captain you know going back to April none of those things were in place and English cricket was in an absolutely diabolical state they won six matches out of seven. I mean, it's one of the most extraordinary sporting resurgences that you could ever wish to see. And we scratch our heads trying to work out what it is. But we should also revel in the madness uh, of what we've just witnessed this summer. Because they're not just one. They've marmalised teams. They've destroyed them. They've, they've freaked them out. In some cases, India set them 378 and they knocked it off with ease. New Zealand got completely spooked after scoring 550 at Trent Bridge. 550 in the first innings and still get beat. <laughs> England has scored at 4.5 and over this summer. It's the fastest any England side, any side has ever played in England in the history of Test cricket. They've Jimmy Anderson's taken 27 wickets at 17. He's 40 years old. I mean, this, these are stories that are unbelievably weird. You know, Ollie Pope has been told to go and bat at three. He's never been in his entire life. He's averaged 38. It doesn't sound great. Top four this year have averaged 28 across both England and all the other teams that played against them. Playing against a new ball this year has been a nightmare. 
if you want to score runs, you're back between five and seven. More centuries have been... No no opener has got 100 this summer. No opener. Not a single one from any from any side that's been there. There's been some pretty damn good players that have played this summer. It's been the weirdest summer of cricket and none of us can make any sense of it. And England have won six out of seven matches after being utterly shit. <laughs> it, uh, make of that what you will. <laughs> it is bizarre. We, we said at the start of the summer with McCullum and Stokes, whatever happens, it won't be dull. And they certainly didn't disappoint. And now every single series that comes along, you know, now obviously attention turns to the white ball and the T20s. But ultimately, when the next test series in Pakistan comes along, this everyone before the series is going to go, oh, but can they do it in subcontinent conditions? Can they do it against quality spin bowling? Can they do it against express pace? In the same way that, oh, can they do it against New Zealand World Test Champions? Okay, well, here comes India. This will be a real challenge. Okay, South Africa, Nokia, Rabada, can they do it against them? And all they can do is beat what's put in front of them. And they've done it's it. It's all in England, though. It's all in England. It's all in England. And it's a fair we, question to ask. And Philly may know better than either of us do. What the hell do you get in Pakistan? I mean, we haven't seen that. Absolute pancakes. So, do you not so see that how... test series between Australia and, um, and Pakistan earlier this year? Well, They're I like did. sheets of glass. So, so how do you play basketball on a sheet of glass? I mean, well, you, I, you bat I, second and you chase down anything you possibly can in the last innings. It, and that's it. How mad yeah. is it that we're sat here? I mean, doesn't that show what basketball? I, I know we're using the word basketball a lot. We kind of agreed that it was in the bin, but I, it's fun. I don't care. But how mad is it? It's only been going on for a couple of months, Buzzball. Finney's just casually said, I'll just chase whatever in the fourth innings. Logic. 500, 550, no trouble at all. Well, logic, <laughs> logic for the last <laughs> decades has been when you go to the subcontinent, you win the toss, you bat first, you score big runs, you don't want to bat fourth because it'll be turning sideways, and then you try and cling on for your life for a draw. If you can, while it's turning. but it, do, but now, it doesn't. In, a few it doesn't months in later, Finney's going, Finney's going. Ah, just chase anything <laughs> in the fourth. Finney. I mean, it, 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 this is how we're talking about Test cricket now. This is what we're yeah. This would be a different story in in India or Bangladesh, in in those places where they have typically produced very very dry wickets. It would just turn into a straight shootout between the two teams, and that's it becomes more of a lottery, I think. Then, and obviously, if you're playing against India in home conditions where they've got Ashwin Jadeja it's going to be infinitely harder playing that way. But England would turn that into a shootout and they'd give themselves a chance. They wouldn't dig themselves into a bunker and get their pants pulled down like they did 18 months ago. Um, I think they'd go down swinging and fighting. And I think that people would enjoy seeing that rather than a timid performance. I mean, look at the way that England played in Australia this winter. How timid does some of that cricket look? And now you think about this team going down there and playing in the way that they have taking the attack to the Australians, someone running down the wicket at Scott Boland and popping him over his head at the MCG. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, no one could have ever fathomed that happening this winter because everyone was crying out for more guts and determination. But I think it would make for really entertaining test cricket. I still think Australia may win in that. I still think their bowling is outstanding and, and the pace at which they bowl um, would make it harder. But I do think that England would go down swinging and I think it would be great to watch yeah, well, I can't wait for Pakistan already, but obviously the T20 before then, and we'll come to that in a few weeks' time on the podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a couple of things I want to rattle through. Uh, first of all, Finney, what's the fastest ball that you ever bowled in an England shirt? What was the fastest you ever clocked at? 94.7 miles an hour. 94.7 <laughs> miles an hour. Well, I can tell you that whilst that is quick, it pales in insignificance because there may admittedly have been a slight issue with the speed gun during the England women's very impressive win over India earlier. But Lauren Bell was clocked at 107 miles an hour during that game. So suddenly 94.7 is looking pretty mediocre, Finney. It turns out Lauren Bell is comfortably a faster bowler than you are. Um, Also, we haven't even mentioned, of course, that this is the first podcast we've recorded since the very sad and tragic passing of the only monarch any of us have known. Even Dan, which says a lot, Queen Elizabeth II. And a day of cricket was, of course, lost to that news. When they returned on Saturday, it was the most touching, beautiful tribute it could have possibly been. If you haven't seen the footage, there was an agreed minute silence coming up, but the whole ground impromptu fell silent way in advance anyway. And then a rousing rendition of God Save the King. It was spine-tingling, hair-raising stuff. Now, Norcross, you've seen a lot of things, a lot of cricket grounds in your lifetime. Have you ever seen anything quite like that? I've never seen anything like that. It was absolutely extraordinary. And um, I've, I've got to be honest with you, and I don't think Zero Dice's listeners would be terribly surprised to know, that I'm not, I'm not a cynic exactly, but I'm not particularly driven by performative acts of collective grief. But this was genuinely one of the most moving things I've ever witnessed in my life. It was extraordinary. I was in the... Uh, Radio 5 live box and sort of preparing and we were really scared I'll be honest with you that day because you, you broadcasting is all about as you know Toby and you had to do it yourself um, it's about being yourself and expressing yourself and not really thinking and so on this day it was particularly concerning because you were thinking suddenly about everything you were very self-conscious and really not wanting to offend people and and really wanted to take the, the moment and the situation seriously. And I was in a five live box, and suddenly I knew what time the minute silence was going to be. It was like 10.55 or whatever it was. And it was only 10.52. And suddenly everyone stood up. I thought, this is really bizarre. So I walked out onto the balcony and watched and stood and suddenly became part of, and really through everybody was, was just involved in, I guess, threw themselves into, I don't know, um, this this sense of collective reflection. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever witnessed, and it was wonderful as well. And alongside me, there was you know, a group of people at the Oval who had not yet been told to stand up. This wasn't like the 100 where you're told to cheer for a six or cheer for this, that, and the other. They just spontaneously did it. And... Then this a cappella singing took place, and then the minute silence took place. And there was one person who ate a bacon sandwich 
and it was really weird. Everybody <laughs> else didn't. And he was like the Ed Miliband of this situation. <laughs> he just he, seeing a man eating a bacon sandwich. I didn't think, you know, you dreadful human being. I just thought, wow, you really, you're the only person who hasn't read the room. And, and it was kind of, it was kind of a beautiful, beautiful moment for me. <laughs> but, it, it, but, 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 but can a, I also say, can it's I also a great say advert that, for the bacon sandwich that even in that situation, if you've got a bacon sandwich, you are going to eat you, it. You, you can't not eat it. <laughs> well, yeah. it's true. It's, it's so, I, mean, I, I felt his pain. I, I understood. I mean, I actually had a bacon sandwich in my hand and it was behind my back and I didn't eat it. And I think maybe part of the reason I spotted him eating it was thinking, should I have eaten? No, don't eat the bacon sandwich. Anyway, but the other thing I want to say is, and that it was a genuinely very, very difficult time for cricket and for sport and for the country. But the first day of the test match was when the Queen died. And there was a load of absurdity. You know, there was no way that the players couldn't have played at, at large parts of the first day. But because it was news had come in that the Queen was obviously not well and that it wouldn't be a great idea if cricket was happening because an announcement of her death could occur at any moment. What you sort of watched whilst also journalistically trying to, you know, protect the listening public from what was going on to sort of say, well, um, I don't quite know why they couldn't be playing by now. Well, full well knowing why they were sort of waiting and waiting and waiting for a, an announcement, I think. And then it rained again, which helped, and then they could turn it off. Then we knew that there wasn't going to be a second day, and then there was an issue of whether or not they should have played at all. And that was a very difficult situation to navigate for cricket, because football came straight out, Premier League shut down, and you'd think a lot of sports would just take their lead from that. But actually, you know, rugby and cricket, hockey, other sports, they waited. And to get that game on and to make that happen, as Ben Stokes tweeted out, he took a really firm, strong lead on this, didn't he? That playing that game would be fantastic to do that in honour of, of the memory of the Queen. And it was a we got a game of cricket on. And it was insane. And it was crazy. And it was marvellous. Isn't that a better way? of actually, you know, memorialising the Queen for 70 years than sitting around wondering what to do at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday. I, I completely agree. And also, I mean, if ever there was a woman that epitomised get on with it, then it was Queen Elizabeth II. But also, Prince Philip would have been absolutely fuming if the Test match had got cancelled. I mean, he was a huge cricket fan. I played in front of him at Windsor Castle once and Andy Caddick, the bowling attack was Andy Caddick, Alan Donald, Devon Malcolm, Toby Tarrant. <laughs> and all three of them took one wicket and I took two. So, you know, that, you know, read into that what you will. I mean, admittedly, both of mine were caught at long off and Alan Donald sent an entire a, a set of springy stumps because we were playing on an artificial wicket. He bowled a guy and they did a 360 and landed up back upright again. <laughs> wow. Oh, well, well, I played in front of Prince Andrew at Windsor. <laughs> well, less, uh, less said about that, the better. I would, I would, I would say Philip Chumps Andrew. I don't know. I'd well, say, I'll leave that to the listeners to decide. <laughs> Prince Andrew's the only person who sweats less than Alistair Cook. Actually, you are around a lot of sweatless men, now I think about it, Philly. Me? Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I know what it takes to, to be one. 
<laughs> you do this. You do the sweating so they don't have to. So I watched it all on TV and I thought the coverage was brilliant. And as much as it pains me to admit it, you and your colleagues were brilliant on TMS as well, Daniel, and I was uh, dipping in and out of that. But um, they kept showing footage of the Queen over the years meeting cricket teams, the England team and whoever they were playing at Lords as well. So yeah. as a result, she's met West Indies, South Africa, Australia. She's met lots of cricketers over the years. And she was going down the line and it was a hell of an England team, that team. So you see her shaking hands with, you know, it's Matt Pryor, then it's Kevin Peterson, uh, oh, then it's Jimmy Anderson, then it's really? Stuart Raw. Oh, um, legends and, of the game, legends and, of the game. And then, not that he wasn't very, very good, but then it's Graham Onions. And that got me thinking, mm. who's the most average, niche, bizarre cricketer that the Queen ever met? So if anybody can tweet at Zero Ducks Pod or send us a message on, Hang on. at Zero Ducks well, Pod. Well, me, I was part of that lineup. Well, yeah, but you, yeah, well, you're, 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 you were quite good for mm. to admit. Now, I, so I, I, <laughs> I was good. I was in 2009. He was. Look, I'm look, not Finney, 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 we all, we, no one's dissing Graham Onions. Look, I Graham think Graham Onions, Onions I, frankly, I think Graham Onions should have played more tests than you. He was just, you know, he had problems with injury and what have you. But right, look, he, in English conditions, he, was, not, he would have been absolutely fantastic. I'm not but, slagging off Graham Onions. I'm just <laughs> saying when I saw Graham Onions, I went, oh, yeah, of course, Graham Onions. And then it got me thinking, who else mm. over the years? And we'll have geeky listeners listening to this. If they could tweet at Zero Ducks Board or send us a message on Instagram, can you find the most average cricketer that the Queen shook hands with on the outfield? So well, I was looking at the Australian lineup that you played against once, which is sort of Brad Haddon. Nathan Horitz. Nathan, Nathan Horitz. Horitz. Who? Oh. Nathan Horitz is there. That's bang average. The Queen met Nathan Horitz. <laughs> I mean, well, also, I looked at the Australian lineup. They had a tall ginger lad, and I didn't even know who that was. Can you remember a tall ginger lad, Finney? Tall ginger lad. I, I, I didn't no, know. No, Bear, Bearstow was in that lineup. He batted no, number six that series. He was with the Australians. See, this is what we need. Has the Queen, I mean, the real question I'm getting at here is has the Queen ever met Eberdot Hussein? That's really what I want to Ooh. know. But um, I anyway, think she might does, have met Fred Rumsey. She would have met Fred Rumsey. Fred, then again, Fred, Fred Rumsey. Rumsey met I think everybody. I think he played a Lord's Test and I think she might have met Fred Rumsey. Yeah, what the I Derbyshire mean? left armour. <laughs> No, well, I mean, I've spent many a night in a pub with Fred Rumsey, and I tell you what, I mean, good luck to you, Queen Elizabeth II. Fair play if you manage to survive. Uh, Finney sent the favourite photo of Finney and the Queen and Alistair Cook. Well, you're you're too good, Finney. Much it pays me to admit, you're too good for this question. I want somebody to find the worst cricketer the Queen ever met on the Lord's Outfield. And we'll Wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Surely, if we're doing the Queen Memorial issue of... Zero ducks, which we are doing. We should allow Finney to tell his Queen story. I mean, my Queen story is that she drove past me relatively slowly uh, when I was eight in the Silver Jubilee because I'm that old. But Finney's actually met her. Yeah, I shook her hand and fucked my lines up. Yeah, there Finney you go. Did. <laughs> that's, an, that, that's a podcast title. We, we I shook her hand and I fucked the lines up. Finny really had, had one job and what did you say to her? Morning. <laughs> Morning. <laughs> there you go. There we go. Okay, so, hang on. Sorry. What was going through your mind? Would, did, did you say morning because you were nervous or because you were thinking about something else entirely and you just need to get this particular thing 
out of the way. Well, we got briefed. We got briefed before we went out there to meet her. And it was, it's ma'am like ham, not mom like palm, I think. Ma'am like Or the ham. other way around. Oh, ma'am. I can't remember. Uh, oh, well, or the other well, way around. Well, that's kind that's, of crucial. And when you're out there and you're dim and you've just been dropped from an Ashes test match, the last thing you're thinking about is what the fuck you call the queen. So Fair enough. I just went, uh, uh, morning. <laughs> and then she didn't hang around for a chat with me, unfortunately. No, sadly, sadly. Well, there we go. Well, I'll wrap up there. I feel like we've been recording for about two hours. Yeah. Um, I won't be here next week because oh. I am going to finally oh. be made an honest oh. man, and I'm getting I'm getting married this week. So this is my last podcast as a as an unmarried man. So are I will... you, are you are you going, Finny? No, I didn't get the invite. Not even no. for the evening, do no. No, no, no me, me neither. I'm both. I'm both this is fuck me. This is awkward. You, yeah, you have right. to remember, but Pippa is incredibly popular, so numbers are tight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, my guest list is about three people, and they have to come because they're family. And so yeah, it's so half how, family. How, how many? How many well, people are at Spice Weddings? Yeah. How many? How many people are actually going to the wedding? A hundred and thirty, I think. We couldn't. We couldn't make. We couldn't make the cut with hundred and thirty. Now, very quickly, and and not very quickly. I don't don't want to let this lie. To be brutally honest with you, when I say I'm trying to move it on, (laughs) pretend she's a bloody good bloke. He's been forcing us to spend an hour and a half with him every week, chatting shit on Zoom. I know. I mean, I've said to you the last couple of weeks, I've said, let's give him a chance. Let's give him a fucking chance. Sorry. Well, let's give no, him a I'm chance. finished. I'm I, finished well, now. I, I know what you mean. I, I feel like that. Ethel's invited. Shall, shall you and I and Ethel take this conversation offline about, I mean, we don't have to call it Zero Ducks Given. We call it something similar. Mm. Zero, well, zero Ethel can host board. it next week. At yeah. least you'll have some personality. Yeah, I'll get, I'll get you, me, and... Um, we should get, get someone really good on, shall we? Like Joe Pasquale or someone. It, it, look, oh, Ethel may be a better presenter. He, he can play me, that. At least I don't, every 30 seconds, walk past the webcam and show you both my arsehole. So, you know, there's... there's a grotesque site. There's pros and cons to... 130 to people. 130 people. That's all. That's all. And do you know what? That was the target that England was set today, which they won with nine wickets to spare. And you didn't even have two places to spare for me and Vinny. Fucking unbelievable. Sal, right. stop right. this podcast now. We're all just jumping off. But Norcross, quickly before I go, can you give me some uh, some marriage advice, please, mate, as a man who's been unhappily married for years? Oh, yeah. Um, you can never win more brownie points than you will lose simply by just looking the other way when they're talking about something to do with a member of their own family that you're not quite listening to. So do keep collecting brownie points, but don't ever believe they'll be helpful to you. And be kind, solicitous, and hypocritical, and lie with an easy facility, as if it's the most natural thing you've ever done in your life. (laughs) Then, my friend, you will have a happy, happy life. Oh, thank you, mate. That's very moving. So thank you, thank you for that. Right. Look 130 at 130 people. Look at her dead in the eyes. 
and lie. It seems to be what the takeaway from Correct. That. <laughs> uh, well, chaps, I won't see you on Monday because I'll be uh, on safari in South Africa, but I will be back the week after from Cape Town. So I look forward to that. Good luck to Ethel hosting the podcast next week. Lovely to see you both. Goodbye. Goodbye. Good luck. Podcast Network.